Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Event Horizon. In the year 1997. I think your mic just shorted out a bit there. <laughs> <laughs> Also, isn't that what Mark does, our, our sometimes guest? Yeah, apparently that's his catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, this is Matt. This is Luke. You've stumbled into it. You're screaming in a sci-fi sanctuary, songs of praise and screaming. That's right. Uh, Mark is not the guest today. Today's guest is, an, is also returning in our, our October mainstay, Henrik Coteau, <laughs> filmmaker. Hi. Hello, hello. How are you guys doing? It's, it's all groovy. I do great. You don't realize you've accidentally done me a big favor today. Because uh, I was also 20 minutes late waking up this morning. <laughs> but because you were five minutes later, I got away with it scot-free. <laughs> I'm always here to help. Well, there's, there's me sitting around for about five minutes. Am I on crack? But uh, yeah, does, does time not work the way I thought time did? That's whatever. Oh, yeah. Matt sat there at 8.30 exactly already dressed for work. <laughs> I'm yeah. still snoring away. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. I didn't set an alarm this morning. Anyway, I was um, telling um, Henry before he started this. This movie apparently was making my eye bleed a little bit. So, oh, nice. Swearing my wife's like, what, "What's wrong with your eye?" I'm like, "I watched Event Horizon. That's what's wrong with my eye." <laughs> <laughs> Very festive. This was my second viewing of it. Um, I saw it opening night back in 1997. I think with my dad was relatively pissed off by the movie. And, and when we started this podcast, I was like, oh, we're going to have to do Event Horizon eventually, aren't we? But it took <laughs> like it took three years. So I guess that's that's cool. But uh, I really need to share um, my, my buddy's story. Actually, you know, he, he was he was the quote unquote Irish guy in Psycho Vixens because um, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. uni in university he had the flu into the university health center and they gave him um some kind of flu medicine but he like couldn't sleep so he was up for like 72 hours and just like didn't want to move because he also had the flu and someone comes in and puts on event horizon and um yeah i actually did invite him to this podcast to talk about it. he's like hell no i'm not watching that movie again he's, he's terrified <laughs> of sam neil <laughs> so uh last night's viewing was only my second viewing of this one wow all right Luke, where uh, do you stand? Uh, I may have caught it back in the VHS days, but like, I don't really remember it. Um, so I've had like 20 years of people telling me this film is like so fucked up and scary. And then I've had you tell me a about how much you hate the jump scares and b that same story about your friend being like put off Sam Neill for life by it. <laughs> so when I finally sat down and watched this film two nights ago, I was expecting to have, you know, the most pants-shittingly scary experience of my life. <laughs> it's not, no, like I said, I, I, I think I put the word annoying with the jump scares, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, this, this was basically my first experience of it this week. Yeah. So are you going to go back to that dimension? Possibly. It was a pretty cool film. The, the hell dimension. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Henrik, I almost did suggest this one, but I was like, yeah, I'll just leave it open like, you know, October. And, and, then, and then you just spat it back out at me. This was actually going to be my suggestion had I suggested something. <laughs> so um, tell me about you in the event. Oh, man. Well, I remember when Event Horizon came out in theaters, I wanted to go see it, but I would have been 11 when it hit the theater. And my mother was like, no, no, no. I've heard that's way too scary. 
but her mind must have just like went blank because like seven months later she rented me the tape and like <laughs> just handed it to me so uh so the first time i saw it i was probably about 11 or 12 and i remember being uh very startled because uh i was already by the time i was like 12 i was, I was like a i had been a long time by my own definition star trek fan you know I'd, I'd been into trek since i was like seven years old like really into it so it was kind of uh startling and refreshing to have space depicted as incredibly dangerous mm. um, and just a place where you can die real easy. Um, so I, I, I've probably seen the movie. I mean, you know, uh, maybe 10 times or less. Like I've definitely seen it. I've shown it to a lot of people over the, the years and I've definitely put it on a couple of times. It's, it's part of the Sam Neill double feature, the two, Sam Neill movies that always scare me, which are Event Horizon and In the Mouth of Madness. Both of those movies always leave me a little feeling a little odd. Like they, they leave me a little spooked. So I always enjoy putting those on and I always enjoy introducing people to them because I'm like, oh, no, let's watch Event Horizon. You like sci fi. Here we go, jerk. You know, <laughs> so, I, I guess you can get away with that because you got the you have the home theater set up, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So so. <laughs> I had been uh, too lazy to get my giant 120 inch screen set up. I'd just been using my television. And uh, last night I was going to, I made the decision. I'm going to watch rewatch event horizon before the show. And my girlfriend was about to leave. And I was like, you could leave or you could stay another 92 minutes and experience <laughs> event horizon. And she'd never seen it. And she's a massive sci-fi nerd. So um I pulled the screen down, put it on, and I was jumping at all the jump scares, even when I knew they were coming, just from the sheer brightness of the screen and loudness of the speakers. That alone takes care of business. Yeah, I was nice. going to say, you can't be like properly annoyed with this movie unless you see it in like a theater setting or something reasonably <laughs> approximating. So, so Luke, you, you, you can't actually be annoyed with this movie. That's why you're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of groovy. I think I'll revisit it because you watched it on your laptop. Maybe watch it on my laptop. I watched it on my TV. Okay, but yeah, right, so, but yeah, so. not full cinema experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I know the one that just, I I will never forgive the movie for is the one where Jason Jason Isaacs just kind of rolls up and's like, "What's going on?" But they play it as like a giant jump scare. I was like, "What the hell?" He's just saying, "What's up?" <laughs> that's not even there's that's not even dramatic or anything. It's just it's just pissing me off. <laughs> the film is haunted, just like the spaceship. Yeah, really. Just like the other side of the galaxy. Well, I, I, I guess we're gonna blame that on on Mister Mister Anderson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did notice this one just says Paul Anderson, and I do wonder if in 1997 I did roll in thinking, man, I like Boogie Nights. How's this one gonna play? <laughs> I, I mean, maybe I'd worked out it's two different people, but not from the credit because they did not put the WS between his names in this one. So <laughs> you, you could. So yeah, I was wondering if it even is the same. Which Paul Anderson it was. Oh yeah, this is this yeah, is it's Paul WS. Of, yeah, this is the DNA of his video game movies. It's just there's no video game. Well, at least not before the game. <laughs> oh, this is like this is surprisingly good for a Paul WS Anderson movie. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 That's why I assumed it was a different guy. <laughs> I will give Event Horizon that is by far the best Paul WS Anderson movie. Yeah, I think that's safe. <laughs> Let me go ahead and give a plot on this one before we run too far afield. In 2047, a team of astronauts are tasked to explore Neptune, where the ship Event Horizon has reappeared. The ship went missing several years prior on a mission to test an interstellar wormhole drive. I guess they call it a gravity drive, whatever. Among the team is Dr. Weir, inventor of that drive. They dock with a massive craft to find its crew missing, 
but plenty of gore stains as evidence that something horrible has happened. See, when the drive engaged, the event horizon passed through some kind of hellish reality and something from that realm came back with the ship. The rescue team is harassed by disturbing memories and hallucinations from their past, and many of them begin to off themselves in bizarre ways. But not Dr. Weir. He's into this shit, mutilates himself, rips off his clothes, and becomes some sort of satanic Sam Neill, bent on keeping everyone surviving on board the event horizon for its return trip to hell. But three crew members manage to escape and destroy the ship. Or do they? Jump scare. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this should be, jump scare the movie. Call them a rescue team. Maybe I should have said salvage team. Or I don't know. Somewhere in between. Rescue, yeah, they, they had guys. They had like a medical person and a trauma person and a rescue guy. So yeah, I was they were say, hoping actually, to find survivors. Yeah, I noticed that when I was rewatching it last night. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, there are three medical personnel. So they were definitely ready for whatever might happen. No, they weren't. <laughs> well, okay, that's a good point. That's, they no, were that's... ready for whatever you would expect to happen. They were for whatever terrors can be comprehended by the human mind, but not terrors un- unable to be comprehended by the human mind. Um, well, I was talking to one of my friends that I was podcasting this last night. I was like, he's like, who's in that? I'm like, Sam Neill. He's like, oh, that's the poor man's Harrison Ford. It's like, okay. <laughs> Is that how we see Sam Neill? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, Sam Neill's got his own Sam Neill space, but yeah, I'd always seen him as like Hugo Weaving is the evil twin to good Sam Neill. But after this film, now I realize they're just both evil twins. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Once you get satanic Sam Neill in your mind, that's good. And and then, then of course there's um. Mountains, mountains of madness, is it? Yeah. Mouth of Ma- in the mountains of madness. of madness is the Lovecraft book. Okay, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Ma- okay, I, I, I'm, I never get those right. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure Lovecraft is a name that will come up again later in this podcast. So yeah, I, I was about possible. to say, I was about to say that, but then I was like, oh, I guess I should talk about the actors first. Yeah. No, um, because yes, yeah, Sam Neill for me is still Jurassic Park. Yeah, so, yeah, which I think this film kind of plays on, right? Because at the start of the film, you're like, "Well, he's the science guy. He's Sam Neil. I'm on his side. I like him." These and why Sam- are these why are these spacemen being mean to him? <laughs> well, by the yeah, end, Sam- you're like, "Oh fuck, Sam Neil." <laughs> Sam Neil has a has an air of competence, like a yeah. high air of competence. So you know when he walks into the room, you're like, "Okay, let's listen to this guy. His voice is very soothing. He'll get us through this." And maybe like, we're flying the ship to hell <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's one of the weird disconnects i had seeing it the first time because yeah you are kind of expecting like okay i'm following this guy he's a hero like, what the fuck's happening <laughs> yeah um lawrence fishburne you know he i guess he hadn't quite got i mean i we all knew who he was by this point but he hadn't quite become like you know lawrence fishburne yet you know he's i think he has to do matrix before we get action Lawrence and our well, I think this is my one of the first times I've seen pre-Matrix Lawrence Fishburne. So well, I'm my... not used to seeing him with such a great head of hair and you know <laughs> looking young and young and slim. <laughs> Although the most fun one, the, the way callback is his is he's weirdly in apocalypse now. Apocalypse now, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that like, <laughs> like a 16 years old. <laughs> so that's pretty trippy. But yeah, yeah. Because now you watch it and it's like, oh, yeah, I can easily change my like, I, you know, I'm follow- following um, his character, which is kind of like a, um, a what, what an unprogressive Ripley, because he's kind of the minor character that ends up, you know, spearheading the, the escape or whatever. <laughs> well, I, I, my favorite thing about Lawrence Fishburne in the movie is he's constantly side eyeing uh, like everything being said to him about mm. the ship. 
Like he's constantly just like you're. I was almost expecting every time Samuel said something, he'd look at him and be like, "What the fuck did you just say?" Like he was <laughs> like he was really mad and ready to fight him. Like he was just like because like uh, everybody was bullying him when he came out of stasis, and and then. <laughs> And Lawrence Fishburne's reaction is like, yeah, you might have died or something. Anyway, we got a place to go. It's uh, like, you know, when you you hate a celebrity for no reason, you're just like, oh, fuck that guy. And then a few years later, something comes out and suddenly everyone hates them. And you, you feel like, yes, yeah, see, I was right. <laughs> it's like Lawrence Fishburne, he hates, he hates Sam Neill for no fucking reason. <laughs> but then by the end of the film, he's like, yeah, see, I was right to hate this guy. You should listen to me. He can that probably was my intuition. He can see auras. He had a bad aura. <laughs> well, I think they set it up, right? He hates him because they were about to get leave and suddenly they've been sent to Neptune. So yeah. Actually, well, and, fair enough. Yeah. And I I because I, I think that all started with the fact that it became very clear very early on that Dr. Weir was not, I mean, like it wasn't hiding that he wasn't telling them stuff because mm. they had to wait until they woke up from hypersleep to actually know where they were going. And I could see that making me pretty grouchy, especially what with spacefaring being so dangerous. Mm. Like I had actually, um, for my podcast, we did a, uh, we did a bunch of research about the Mary Celeste, you know, the first like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ship. super fun story to read about. But what I ended up learning from all of the research was just how, unbelievably dangerous seafaring was at the beginning mm-hmm. like that it was that you know people would be like yeah so the whole crew was found dead on the ship and they're like ah that's too bad i'm gonna miss tony like oh no no that's the ship from three days ago no this <laughs> is a different one where everybody's dead and they're like oh yeah people just die in the ocean and that's kind of the vibe i got on event horizon was that it's like listen we're a merchant ship with some you know a little bit of like military undertones we're just gonna do our best to get there and get back with as many of us as possible since this is as janky as playing Oregon trail too. So <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe three, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Roland, I, I want to roll down a few more actors. Um, Luke, did you recognize who you just saw? Uh, which, which of the two? Uh, there, there are two more I recognized. Obviously Jason Isaacs. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. weird seeing him this young. <laughs> well, um, the other one for me, weird seeing them that young's uh jolie richardson as 10 years later i had a run in obsessively watching nip tuck with friends so she was very much on my radar but <laughs> oh, you okay. know, it's, it's like a 40 year old whereas here she's like uh, a youngin and it's surprising no the one for me is um i think his name in this film was cooper right um, he went on to play the fbi agent in um richard t jones is the actor he was in um Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah, he played Ellison. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the FBI agent turned private investigator. Yeah, I'm actually doing a replay, a rewatch of that series right now. So oh, also, great. So I also was like, wow, he's a skinny little baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's like not just fitter in this movie. He's like, uh, like friggin' uh, like a swimmer's body. He's oh, like, well, yeah, he's meant to be like muscly. He is quote unquote the sexy one in this. I, I won't deny that's that. his I mean, character, that, right? That, that pencil thin mustache he got rocking in yeah. there too. Woo, mucho I, caliente. I don't uh, know if this was intentional at all, but um, if you watch the the Orville, they have their engineer Lamar played by Jay Lee, and I swear that's like almost the same character in this movie with Cooper. Uh, it's just <laughs> weird. Like they talk exactly the same. So I wonder if that was actually a reference. You know, like someone was really into Event Horizon or something, and model the character a bit <laughs> he ends up there he's one of the two who survives right yeah, yeah. well yeah. oh yeah because it seems like he's dead and then he like d- does that insane blast and ends up somehow blasting back to his ship which was highly improbable but that's fine <laughs> i mean he was like you couldn't see the ship anymore how do you know where to jet to he's a professional <laughs> right okay because right? <laughs> the ship didn't want to let him go that, oh, actually, you know what? <laughs> you might be onto something. The ship may have helped him find his way back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the first moment in that movie that really, I mean, there, I, I find the movie pretty spooky throughout, but the thing that the first time it really got me was so early in the movie, the, the, the one, uh, the trauma doctor mentions that he, you know, speaks a little Latin and he's pretty sure he heard Latin in one of those broadcasts that they were hearing from the event horizon before they arrived. 
which uh by the way are like the whole movie is so much scarier just from the sound of their broadcast it just sounds like screaming groans of hell unleashed mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and when they say like we're hearing something coming from the event horizon and they play that sound rachel just turned to me and, and we're flying toward that sound <laughs> <laughs> that's like going but, to saturn if you've heard, no yeah saturn if you've heard the rings of saturn sounds oh they, yeah they have <laughs> But so so it was creepy enough hearing that and then him saying, like, I think that they're speaking Latin and I think they're saying um, they're saying, save me. And then later on, once they're on the ship and everything, he's like, I, I spent more time with it and I misunderstood. It's saying, save yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Event Horizon spooky. That's one um, of my favorite tropes in any horror is just the the weird, scary recording. That always yeah. does it for me. Because um, I think... I think sound can scare me a lot better than visuals can. Oh, for sure. Uh, sound sound grabs your your uh, imagination and, mm, and makes yeah, it just kind of yeah. go around. I just like that they all don't really flinch to it because I guess space recordings are just really creepy sounding in general, which based on everything I know about the sounds of space, it is creepy. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're like, oh, no, no, they're not being tortured for eternity and unspeakable uh, terror, impossible to comprehend with the human mind. It's just it bounced off a couple moons or something. That's why it <laughs> sounds like cats in a blender. They're fine. Um, this is Luke, all great. Luke, the one I was getting at earlier, just to, to just get back to the actors real quick. Um, uh, Catherine Quinlan, who's kind of doing the proto Carrie Ann Moss in here, was um, in She's Apollo in 13, Apollo right? 13. And just yeah, yeah, looks, yeah. Same year looks so different, you know. I guess that's yeah. what a good haircut does for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was like, oh, okay, and you know, it's with Yeah, I was just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beehives. I guess I'm not for a beehive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This this is kind of like you know, we already mentioned Lovecraft a little bit, but it's kind of like you know the baby's first unspeakable horror book or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> like it's not that deep on it, no. Or is it? I mean, well, it's, me it I'm is wrong. a really cool idea. The like when a spaceship goes in the space between spaces, it'll fuck you up. There's shit in there, and I feel like that's something you see mentioned in like in passing in other sci-fi. But this is one of the only places where that's the whole plot. It's so, yeah. yeah, when you're in that wormhole, you're in hell. Yeah. Oh, there's the Star <laughs> Trek where Barkley's finding the worm people. I guess it's kind of an in-between. Space. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Voyager uh, wasn't afraid to every now and then be like, yeah, these are like space alien ghosts. They're, they eat us. We better do something <laughs> about it. <laughs> Before they eat us. Yeah. Lol, Delta Quadrant problems. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> But in this one, yeah, it's like, are they explaining too much? Not enough? I don't know. I kind of like that they didn't dive crazy deep because they wouldn't have much information. And and frankly, whatever the hell is on the other side of the, you know, the dark matter, um, I don't think you can just nail it down with words. I think it's just an experience. Um, And I love that the experience either drives you um, to kill yourself which I assume is the same response or you become like Sam Neill's character. And you're like, I looked into the abyss and I liked it. Now I want more for everyone. It's like, well, you're coping in a really interesting way. Dr. Weir. Uh, <laughs> now did Dr. Weir just design the gravity drive or the whole ship? It, I, I, at I, first yeah. I thought it was just the drive, but then they saw they've, I, guess, I think this is a case of the writers didn't really make a distinction between those two things. Yeah. Okay. I was just saying because the event horizon itself 
the interior was clearly designed by a madman. Like they have their <laughs> Cerebro thing with the dark matter machine, then just a bunch of spikes for no reason. <laughs> I, I love that design of the the warp core looks like something out of hell. Yeah, yeah it's Clive Barker's warp core. It looks like those weird um, like orbs full of holy water the Pope has. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's just to tell us, you know, Dr. Weir wasn't wasn't all there to start with. So like, we need lots of spikes. I mean, I guess you could have some <laughs> science explanation for that. But yeah, it does just look like, yeah, like a medieval torture chamber for some reason. <laughs> but I don't think enough, like you mentioned it yourself, Henry, not enough stuff explores that like space is just really scary on its own. Yeah. It's just a big nothing where you die. Yeah. <laughs> And that whole that whole sequence when uh, one of the uh, crew members tries to kill himself in an airlock mm. and uh, which I love that sequence and how uh, Lawrence Fishburne is trying to catch up with him on the other side of the airlock. And he's yelling instructions to him about, like, blow all of the air out of your lungs. Hold yep. yourself down like a like a child, because his plan is if he can just keep him alive enough when they reclose the airlock they can probably get him back to you know eventually uh, you know get him recovered and all i could think is like the way he was telling him it so straightforward i was like man how many times do you think he's had to repeat those instructions when working in space i was like listen there is a way to survive this it's not pretty so i need you to do exactly what i say and don't ask a single question unfortunately life you know life preservers they don't they don't pull it up here we got there's a lot worse things going on. Did his eyes um, pop out? They basically exploded. <laughs> yeah, you, you start. Yeah, you start to compress and, and freeze, and just all this awful stuff all at once. And uh, uh, <laughs> see, that's why. Yeah, that's why I like this movie so much because it it reminded me that space is super scary. Um, and and there's stuff like some of the other stuff that's made me think about how scary space is was not in and of itself very scary, like gravity the the sandra bullock movie i liked gravity i thought it was a fun sci-fi you know light sci-fi action thriller thing um but you know it wasn't a horror movie i did find myself like oh god like don't die don't die and everything is like how do i not die in space this time okay Mm. now next time how do i not die in space but you know obviously it doesn't pull off the uh unbelievable horrors Mm -hmm. (laughs) impossible to comprehend with the human mind I wonder what Neil deGrasse Tyson has to say about Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Whoa. he said something about everything. I feel like it's probably there's probably just, you just made me think, right? I'm gonna have to Google Neil deGrasse Tyson Event Horizon because I bet he's he's had something to say on the matter. <laughs> well, and he uh, loves to comment on movies. Yep, I, I do think. Uh, yeah, Interstellar kind of stole the um, wormhole demonstration thunder from this movie because now everyone thinks about the scene from Interstellar, but. This oh, interestingly, in in the new Thor movie, mild spoiler, there's a scene where someone's asking her about wormholes and she does that same thing. And she's like, yeah, just go and watch Event Horizon or Interstellar. They'll explain it. OK, she she cites <laughs> both. Good for her. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so it didn't completely steal the thunder out of this because it did. I mean. I, I think in 1997, this was an explanation where it's like, whoa, that actually like taught me something in this whack sci-fi horror movie. <laughs> uh, annoyingly, when you search Neil deGrasse Tyson Event Horizon, you just get stuff about real black holes. That kind Try of Neil deGrasse Tyson, Tyson Sam Neil. <laughs> <laughs> we can get through this. We can think our way out of it. We can we can find his opinions about Event Horizon. They're too can, important. You cannot think your way out of hell. Actually, hell. maybe you can. Maybe, maybe maybe that's the way out of hell. You think your way out of hell. I mean, if, you know, if these guys would just chill out and have a pina colada. You know, maybe they have fewer problems. They still have the hallucinations, <laughs> though. So I guess that's an issue. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they're and they're pretty gnarly. <laughs> The uh, I was surprised some of the uh, the computer generated effects really held up pretty decent. The only uh, part I remember watching and thinking like, oh, that looks bad is right at the start. You're seeing just like random stuff floating around in the spaceship. Yeah, and I think I guess because it's all it's all things that I've seen. Right, I've seen a wristwatch and a bottle. 
so I know when I'm looking at a CGI one. Yeah, but, they, they weren't quite as powerful. Oddly enough, they did a better job with the liquid floating. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because yeah. I've never seen liquid floating in Zero G, yeah. right? So maybe it does look like that. And yeah, all the spaceships and everything looked great, I thought. Also, the computers had liquid down early, right? T-1000. Yeah. <laughs> Abyss. So well, um, that... Star Trek 6? Six? Six. You're thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. on blood, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a so. cool scene. So, I mean, yeah, liquid it would be one of the first things you can see, Joe, probably because it does look fine. You know, you don't really have yeah. to finesse it. Otherwise, well, you got to do. No, I'm gonna... sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, otherwise, you, you've got to do Toy Story because it's 1995. <laughs> but <laughs> you got a friend in hell. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought I was really surprised. So, Lawrence Fishburne's character sees this image of a man he watched burn alive in space. Uh, that's mm. like what's haunting him. And I thought that that was startlingly decent because I knew just by the fact that you could see the actor's face so clearly that the fire was definitely being placed there through some trickery. Um, and I thought he looked surprisingly decent and nightmarish, even though as I watched it, I was like, I know they had to do this with, uh, you know, computers and compositing because you can't just have a guy's eyes wide open like that with flames licking his whole body. I it think just, they did. You can't. They did a good job of not showing him to us for too long. Mm -hmm. So the little shots we got, yeah, they worked really well. Well, and I think I think that having his face be so horrific and having him, like you were saying about how easy sound scares people, mm. having him like yelling and, and demanding, you know, why did you let me die and all this and having the wild eyes and the crazy face. I think that helped too, because it just makes it scary instead of making you sit there and pick it apart and go like yeah is that real fire you're instead you're just like yeah. holy shit that guy had a bad day and then <laughs> <laughs> when in reality this is what stoked fishburne's character to start meticulously memorizing survival instructions for all emergency situations <laughs> yep <laughs> that was his heaven? origin story for being sensible <laughs> <laughs> So from the outside, the event horizon's really, really, really big. And from the inside, it doesn't seem that big. It's like a reverse TARDIS, I think. Which I, th I think is yeah. quite true for spaceships, right? The space for just people to mill about probably isn't that big. True. Yeah, yeah. but the, they got that giant impractical tunnel that they pressurize and fill with oxygen. That's what I was about to mention. I was like, that part is really cavernous, and then everything else is like slightly bigger than a submarine. <laughs> a few nights ago, actually, because I was procrastinating watching Event Horizon, I was on YouTube and, and put on one of the uh, you know Starship size comparisons. It's the half screen channel on YouTube if you're looking for it. But uh, the Event Horizon is really big, like the Enterprise D, like would like be like a like a bee buzzing around the front cockpit area. Apparently, so well, when you see the um. Like the other ships approaching the yeah. event horizon. The event horizon is like the Death Star to them. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my whole point with the TARDIS. Uh, I, the reverse TARDIS. I'm like, you know, it seems it seems relatively homey inside, except for all the gore and spikes and fire and blood, but and weird angles. <laughs> and, yeah. It's a weird ship. <laughs> yeah. The um the design of it. What ship have we seen that was similar? Like Where it's a bit ship? at the front, a bit at the back, and there's like a. Am I supposed to say the Discovery straight up, or was that a rhetorical question? The Discovery? Yeah, 2001. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, I thought that was what I was thinking of. Okay. <laughs> that one being much smaller, of course, but... Yeah, but yeah, but that design of, yeah, like the sort of road in between two other pits, which I'm yeah, sure was deliberate, right? Yeah. You don't accidentally use the 2001 spaceship. <laughs> Well, and the idea that you sever half of it so that you can get away from the uh, the you know uh, gravity drive mm. uh, if it explodes, which is very similar to the saucer separation on the enterprise on the Enterprise D, mm. you know, yep. is, is that you want to be able to get away from your own engine if it decides to turn mm. on you. <laughs> which especially made sense here because it was a brand new experimental engine. Yeah. Too bad, too bad running away wouldn't have done justice against that. Oh, geez, we were we were thinking just, you know, it would explode. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, I was just real quick. Maybe I mentioned when we did 2001, but kind of just to be like super geek and, and say the one thing I, I still can't get my head around. How, how is how is the shuttle, the pod bay have gravity? 
on but how does any of it have gravity it's spinning in a wheel <laughs> so it makes sense for most of it and, and in the center it's clearly no gravity right. but the pod bay has gravity i can't remember where the pod bay was right under the car anyway it's always bugged me okay sorry okay. <laughs> like like they thought about so much of that to make it like, kind of realistic but then there's that like one thing that like no that doesn't work at all so <laughs> okay moving on uh event horizon um it just has gravity yeah yeah, yeah they, well <laughs> well it well, doesn't turn it back on yeah yeah i guess it's gravity plating i don't really know how that's supposed to work Maybe you just have like jets to suck in the air and drag that and so no one can talk to each other. What? What? I can't hear you. It has something to do with tachyons. I'm positive. Tachyons. Sure, sure why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this comes from the school of sci-fi where just we have gravity because we can't afford not to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. Walls are covered in gore. Look at that. Forget about the gravity. <laughs> Well, and, and I remember one of the first moments that really shocked me as a youngster watching this movie was when the body shatters. That oh, was yeah. horrific <laughs> when the when the power comes on, and the gravity kicks on, and then that corpse falls to the ground and just breaks into a bunch of pieces. That freaked me out so bad as a kid. <sighs> So when they first, it's when the, the medical lady is on the ship the first time and she's like, oh, there's a tiny little bit of blood. And then behind her, you see that like amorphous corpse mess of just like flesh and skulls and whatever. Very cool visually, but also straight out of Dune. Yeah, I um, would agree. Yeah. And yeah, not knowing that this is the same Paul W.S. Anderson who went on to do all the video game adaptations, and knowing that this is a film about a spaceship that accidentally went to hell, this is very Doom. So is this a better version of Doom than Doom? Oh, you mean the, the Doom movie? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> it is scary and cool, but also it doesn't have much action. Yeah, it doesn't have running around with like a rail gun sort of stuff, so... Yeah, that I actually thing. haven't seen the Doom movie since it came out. Mm. I'd imagine it doesn't hold up great. That that is one of Anderson's, yeah. No, I don't think so. Okay, maybe Somebody it was. Maybe. maybe I don't think I don't think it's bowl level. It's no, it's not Uwe Bowl. <laughs> but I don't think Paul W. Anderson can get the rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is. He's. I mean, like Uwe Bowl's like completely outside of the system, whereas. I mean, Anderson's like a, at least like kind of in hired, it was hired gun territory, I think. I can't even pronounce his name. Andre Batkowalyak. Okay. Do you make anything better? I'm just looking at his <laughs> filmography now. Well, it, it says also searched Jet Li, so I'm guessing he did something good. Okay. Uh, he did Terms of Endearment, Falling Down. Yeah, this guy. Wait, Wait he didn't direct for Oh, cinematographer, cinematographer. Uh, he only directed a couple of films and they're all terrible. Okay, so he should have stuck to the He did Doom, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. <laughs> <laughs> Cradle to the Grave. <laughs> yeah, no, he's mostly a cinematographer. I see. Okay. A-C-E? Well, that makes kind of sense because Doom had that run really cool first person bit. That's the, yeah, that's the only part people remember, right? That and the BFG gag. Mm. But, um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I lost my train of thought. Someone threw in a good thought. Where are we? Um, good thoughts. I'm not very good at those. <laughs> my brain imploded in space. <laughs> so no one in the film, like, they're all really surprised when he tells them that it makes a black hole. But the ship's called the Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're like space truckers, alien style. They're not scientists. I guess so. 
Although they do yeah. have a lot of medical knowledge. But yeah, that's yeah. a black hole. That's different. Yeah, one of them speaks Latin. <laughs> like, they're not idiots. The Romans, <laughs> the Romans didn't invent black holes. I, I do wonder. I do wonder if maybe they didn't put two and two together simply because uh, spending a life in space, you would find the concept of creating a black hole even more preposterous. Mm. So they were like, "Oh, you just named it a space thing, black holes. Like they're a thing." Because uh, because they all are very surprised. with like, "Wait, you made a black hole?" And they're like, "Yeah," and it's like that doesn't sound safe or yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> and this they is the part where somebody says, "Like, do what." They do that in CERN, right? They make many black holes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no big gates that, to hell. But, but, yeah, that's yeah. You know, nothing's <laughs> ever been the same since they ran that damn thing. Uh, <laughs> wasn't it one of them? Like even said, like this is what happens when you break nature's laws or whatever. Because <laughs> it was like he right. broke all of the laws of uh, of our you know universe to try to travel faster and. Uh, <laughs> I just can't get over the idea. I love the idea that like you're kind of crossing like the unknown of sci-fi, but like the, with the unknown that's more popular, you know, on earth, which would be like ghosts, demons, monsters. I, I, I just love that they just cut a hole in space time and they're like, Hey, this is going to be great. And then the inside, it's like, Oh, never mind. This is, <laughs> um, this is like world ending. Okay. This is like a species ending. This is but bad. What, what I really love about it is it does do that. But it doesn't do it in like too obvious a way. Yeah. Because around the same time, right, we've got ghosts of Mars. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, <laughs> here is space with ghosts. Yeah. But this is like space already has, you know, you tear a hole in the universe and go to another dimension. What if that dimension was just fucked up? Yeah. I think it works really well here because, yeah, it is bringing in like, old school like hell imagery but doing it in a way that still feels sci-fi yeah so and that's and it never loses that it never starts to feel like it's literally hellraiser in space not yeah. to be confused with the hellraiser they actually did in space uh-huh. but <laughs> but yeah they they managed to keep keep it moving along with the the sci-fi a good amount of of sci-fi tropes and and the fun kind of sci-fi tropes yeah you know walking through corridors talking about running out of oxygen you know uh you know our ship is now exploded you know the, the usual things you deal with when you're uh you're out and about in space and we could we can apply this to trek continuity and just say the technology got better and whenever yeah. the enterprise is flying around in their warp bubble outside the warp bubble is hell yeah <laughs> That's that's the final that's the final step to really teach the Borg a lesson is we drop them off there. Push them <laughs> out of the war bubble. <laughs> you thought species eight four seven two was bad, huh? <laughs> Their fluidic space. And not as that. cool as chaotic space. So no, no, not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we mentioned it a little. I guess we can get into it more. Like this is Lovecraft's whole shtick, right? was looking well not not so exactly but his thing was like yeah looking up at space and realizing how small we are is really scary yeah and i love it when something really leans into that and this is like yeah you know if you if you just peel back one layer of the universe guess what it's really scary yeah <laughs> well and, and the new thing people because there's been a, a resurgence in the last few years of some lovecraft adaptations and stuff mm. and the new the new phrase for what lovecraft stories are is cosmic terror yeah, That's cosmic horror, yeah, yeah, yeah which i love that yeah cosmic horror i love that phrasing because it's nice because it, it tells me it's like it's not quite space but it has to do with space but you may never go to space but you'll feel really close to space now. You know, like, I love that uh, very much. And I do think it has kind of like a, I feel like it has kind of like a light nudge wink to Lovecraft. I mean, there's no, they didn't go all the way. There's no tentacles. Mm. There's no like hinting at one singular elder God or something, but there is a lot of that ambiguity. And that was something that's why whenever I think of anything Lovecraft, you always make the joke of like, Oh yeah. Horror is beyond all human comprehension. Cause that's, was my favorite go-to line he ever made you know it was just yeah. i'm not going to describe it i'm just going to say this is beyond human comprehension you'll figure it out also uh you know i'm lovecraft i'm very racist and oh, that yeah. was <laughs> <laughs> we, all we all know we all know 
<laughs> but, the reason it doesn't bother me that Lovecraft was racist is because he was dead a hundred years before I bought his books. So, you know, I'm not supporting him. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think that he's got, he's just in hindsight so eccentric. It's hard to stay mad at him. Yeah, just like what a weirdo you are. So, and yeah, the fact that he was like a pathetic little man terrified of everything different is why he wrote such good horror. Yeah, no, he just lived his whole life scared. It's kind of like Poe. I When I read Poe, I'm like, man, this guy's scared all the time. This guy's scared a lot. Uh, like, you know, I don't think a badass tough guy is going to write good horror. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Like, what's Dwayne The Rock Johnson's horror going to be like? Zombie appeared, punched its lights out. <laughs> I went to bed and slept soundly for eight hours. <laughs> yeah, now it's, I mean, you know, more recently it's been what Clive Barker and uh, Stephen King, you know, a stiff wind will blow those guys over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. But um, I, I was going to say, I, I guess this movie makes Sam Neill an honorary gold one, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely, he's the guy who like, in whatever way he contacted whatever is on the other side there and joined it. I mean, I will say that's the that's the guy I definitely remembered being in this movie. Otherwise, it was like, oh yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's in this movie. Hey, Jason Isaacs isn't old yet. Amazing. You know, I, I didn't remember that. <laughs> but uh yeah, you, you can't unforget certain imagery scarred into your brain, right? <laughs> And, and these are the two these are the two scary ones he re- the really scary flicks he did were, were event horizon in the mouth of madness and i've noticed that with my friends who are a little bit less intense uh about movies they'll sometimes get them confused mm. because you know they're both really they're both scary flicks and sam neill's one of the main characters so uh because i've talked i've said like uh i've asked somebody if they've seen in the mouth of madness like yeah it's so scary and then they start talking about it and they immediately like it's like a horror movie, but it's in space. And I'm like, that's not uh, in the mouth of madness. That's a Horizon. Are you sure? Because everybody's pretty much in the mouth of madness in that movie. And I'm like, well, no, you are right. But it's Event Horizon. I mean, but you couldn't flip the titles because it wouldn't work the other way. So no, no, I don't think so. If you call that one Event Horizon, make that that be that'd be less sense than the ship that doesn't have a black hole. You know. <laughs> I guess as far as how does this one hold up, I'm just kind of in a weird space where I watched it opening night and watched it 25 years later last night. But it, it definitely comes up a lot. People, I, I feel like people mention it with it, but don't watch it so much. Am I wrong? <laughs> you you watch it 10 times or less, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's I, a film I, with a concept that's really cool. So people are like, oh yeah, Vet Horizon, that's the one where Spaceship Goes to Hell. But then how often do they sit down and watch it? No, I mean, and, and being somebody who hangs out with a lot of people who are really into the horror space, um, Event Horizon is definitely synonymous with science fiction in those mm. in those circles. Whenever somebody's like, oh, yeah, I like Star Trek. Oh, yeah, I like this. There's inevitable in like a horror group on Facebook or whatever. There's almost inevitably almost immediately somebody will be like, yeah, and Event Horizon, everybody will like fist bump digitally over Event Horizon. I think that's a movie that did not 
get appreciated in the night in the late nineties, as well as it should have been. I think that's a classic example of DVD. Did that movie a lot of favors mm. and uh, cable TV did that movie a lot of favors. And I think that we're at a point now where it kind of feels like no one's seen it, but at the same time you find out almost immediately everybody's seen it kind of feeling. So you still feel that like camaraderie, like, Oh man, you like event horizon. Meanwhile, it's because most people have finally gotten on board with it. It aged surprisingly well, aside from the uh, opening and closing music, which was 90s. As, as, uh, as the closing uh, credits really caught me oh, off guard. Because yeah. like, you don't end horror movies with a song like that anymore. No, uh, I think I have a good note for that. Oh, they're all fucked, aren't they? Drum and bass music says yes. <laughs> that was my, my note on it. Oh, and then, then we get the shot right near the end. There's just a random shot of maggots. That was kind of weird. <laughs> maggots are scary, ma- man. I know. Yeah. It just it was like the last five seconds where they finally decided to like get into that one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like because when you see the posters and stuff for this film, it's just a big old spaceship. Like, did they forget to market that this film is a horror movie about hell? Actually, I think yes. I don't think yeah. I went in fully expecting a horror movie when I saw it in the movie. So maybe movie. that's kind of why it didn't have the success it could have had because no one knew what it was. So yeah. probably a lot of the public were just like, oh, boring spaceship movie. Now nah, pass. I remember the television coverage making it seem like it was a sci fi action movie. Hmm. And it's, I would say, calling it an action movie is a pretty big stretch. Um, but I think that may be why. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they, because it was not a cheap movie. I wouldn't be surprised if it got greenlit and then was in production. And then the person who greenlit it got fired. And then the (laughs) the person who was now in charge of the studio was like, well, we can't ditch it. It's got some names in it. We spent a lot of money. So let's uh, let's lean into the science fiction because I, for whatever reason, believe no one will want to see a horror movie. And because that happens a lot where things get marketed a weird way, like, uh, the best example ever is Taken. The mm. first Taken movie, its initial marketing was that it was a thriller. <laughs> it's not a thrill. It's a it's a balls to the walls action movie. Well, that's why the name is Taken, right? Because you're meant to be yeah. like, oh, it's a scary thriller about being kidnapped. Yeah. And like, and- no, it's it's a ridiculous male power fantasy about <laughs> shooting everyone who's ever touched your daughter. <laughs> it's, it's a movie about Liam Neeson beating up France, period. And and it's the fastest way to spend 84 minutes in your life. Oh, yeah. um, it really is. But like, I remember seeing the trailers and it seeming like this trudging thriller movie. And I was kind of like, yeah, I might see it sometime. And then a friend was like, dude, you have to watch Taken right now. And I was like, what are you talking about? He puts it on and I was like, why didn't they didn't show him punch anyone in the trailers <laughs> that if, if there are no punches in your taken trailer, it is not accurate <laughs> to what the film is because he punches basically everybody. So including like, like all of his mates. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. He just beats up everybody. And but I think that uh, when that came out, they thought, oh, we're not going to have a winner with a with an action movie. So let's try and amp up that. And they were wrong. And Maybe then, it's because Liam Neeson hadn't quite transitioned to action guy yet, right? Yeah. So like, oh, it's a Liam Neeson a film. We've got to sell it as like this drama. Yeah. And then <laughs> instead they were like, oh, crap, we have a winner, you know, even in spite of the studio work, we better <laughs> lean into it. And boy, did they lean into it. A drama <laughs> but, fist. <laughs> so I feel like that's definitely accurate that Event Horizon wasn't marketed as a horror movie much at all. Mm. Um and that's a, and it is a shame. Uh, I noticed that that happens a lot with mainstream horror releases, especially in the nineties when basically nobody knew what would work until scream happened. That was kind of when people were like, Oh, okay. So this is where horror is going now. Before that, everybody was just kind of feeling around trying to come up with something and, and they kept, and they literally like, look at the nineties. It's like uh deep rising. Let's try that. That didn't catch on. Uh, what about a dinosaur in like a museum or something? And they'd be like, all right, let's do that <laughs> relic. And like, they just would trying anything. And then when scream happened, all of a sudden every movie was, was scream. It was a self-aware self-referential movie with, you know, actors and actresses that were either on the WB or in line to be on the WB. <laughs> it just kind of happened that way. So, uh, and, and that's one of the reasons nineties uh, movies and especially nineties horror is really interesting because in the in the 90s you know the tarantino kind of changed 
everything uh, for like the average uh, Oscar worthy movie. It, it, all of a sudden it was, you know, movies were about crime that were going to get nominated for, you know, best picture and stuff like that. But meanwhile, the horror genre was just kind of not sure what to do because the slashers in the eighties had died out really hard and mm-hmm. it, you weren't really able to make any money off of them in the nineties. So they were just trying to figure out what to do. They tried because they tried making new Freddy Krueger's and new Jason Voorhees's and none of them stuck. Um, you know, they did Candyman that worked. Um, but, but, you know, the, only the first two are reasonably good. The third sequel is pretty rough. So they were always, you know, kind of struggling to figure out what would work. Um, I mean, they like, uh, Wes Craven made the movie shocker, which, uh, <laughs> which had Mitch Pileggi playing a, uh, serial killer who had been turned into electricity and starts killing people that didn't catch on. <laughs> so, you know, they, they were definitely trying, they were throwing anything at the wall to see what would stick. And I think event horizon is a good example of of that kind of that era of just trying a bunch of different stuff. And then as usual, the studio getting uh, chicken shit and getting cold feet and deciding that they know better. It is weird how you often hear studios acting like, Oh, horror doesn't sell, but horror movies always make bank. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's tricky. Not because... like not Avengers end game, stupid money. No, no, no. But like people, people want to go see a horror at the cinema. Yeah, no, they definitely do. Uh, and it's funny because I work in I work in uh, film distribution and I actually have been saying for years, horror movies underperform comedies um, and they like, in this smaller market and they totally do. I mean, I make my living off of mostly comedies that I've huh. distributed. But so it is some of it is dogma. Some people just believe that you can sell a horror movie to anybody. But I agree. If you have a good horror movie with a little bit of money behind it, the public is going to really give it a chance because they love to be scared. So, you know, you take a, the purge and you give it a chance and it's a pretty good idea and people liked it. You, you know, you try these different things and that's the, the big problem with horror is it, it is a crapshoot. So uh, like any film is, but so they'll be like, let's spend $90 million on a horror movie. And then it'll become so homogenized by their mm. fear of losing the investment that it ends up not being, it ends up not making the people who don't like horror movies happy. And it, it disappoints everybody who likes horror movies. And I think that's kind of event horizons fate ended up being that the marketing didn't get the people who would actually enjoy it to go see it. So they all found it on cable. Yeah. I guess um, big budget horror usually doesn't go down well. Right usually like what i love that they that they'll like they remade a friday the 13th and spent like 50 or 60 million dollars it's like okay first one cost 350 grand guys like even with inflation that was under a mill and and you know it's just they just spend all this money because i guess they're looking for prestige but the audiences are just looking for an interesting concept and that's why blumhouse has been so successful because they're like we won't spend a lot of money but we'll we'll risk it because you know, if we make three of these movies and one of them hits, it'll pay for it'll cross collateralize the expenses of all the other movies and then we can stay in business. So it's, you know, that's and they that's why they're kind of the head, the leading the industry. And you see places like Sony and Warner Brothers will occasionally basically make their own Blumhouse movie where they're like they spent five million dollars and there's one star in it. And I'll literally when I'm in the theater and the logo comes up, I'll literally go, oh, I thought this was a Blumhouse movie because they're just they, they're completely using their formula. Anyway, I'm going to watch it and see if it's good. <laughs> yeah, so. when I'm watching a movie and it's like slick, I could tell a lot of money's been spent on it. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like horror. It, I want to see I want to see dirty. I want to see handmade. I want to see I want to wonder like, "Oh god, did they really do that to that actor?" <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm That's still a, sitting a here people- wondering what I what I was coming into this one thinking. I mean, was it was I thinking of Jurassic Park in space? Um, <laughs> this, this was also kind of like just, I guess, movie overload time because this around 97 is when I go see movies probably like every Friday, Saturday night. So half the time I probably didn't think much about what I was going to see. I was just like, oh, yeah. new movie, stepping in, going to watch it. <laughs> Why haven't they made Jurassic Park in space yet? That, that seems to be <sighs> up next, I there. guess. Because <laughs> the, the, the new one supposed to be crap, but it made bank, right? Isn't, wasn't quite successful. It did pretty well. Yeah. yeah. So it was fine. It, it, the bits number. where it had dinosaurs were great. It just spent way too much time not having dinosaurs. 
Okay, well, there'll be new movie number four for Jurassic World, so it's time to get off world. Jurassic World off world. Jurassic <laughs> off world. <laughs> there we go. There's their title, Jurassic, Jurassic off world. I'll copyright that, and they won't use it. <laughs> um, you, oh, yeah, one of my, I, I, I have a final thought. I was just thinking about Dr. Weir again and being like, he's kind of similar to uh, Bruce Dern and um, Silent Running in a way. Uh, he's a little more murdery and a little more hell influence, you know, because Bruce Stern's got his robots and flowers, whereas, you know, Dr. Weir's got Satan and gore. But, you know, otherwise, there's some similarities, I think. <laughs> a single handed I... determination to just kind of float around a, a distant outer solar system planet sort of thing. I don't know. The best comment I have for that is just laughing. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> If they'd, if they'd left him at the end and he just got to sit on Event Horizon and be alone in hell, <laughs> then he'd be Bruce. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm saying. The three did escape and he, they didn't blow up the ship properly. Yeah, I, I, that would have been my ending. Sure. Oh, OK, I'm, I'm successful. I'm here. I'm, what next? <laughs> I'm going to build some hell robots for myself. <laughs> Oh, the giant metal spike, something like that. Okay, that, that's my final thought on this movie. Uh, any, any from you folks? Oh. Luke, Luke's talking, but there's no sound coming out. He must be in hell. Oh, no. The darkness has him. The dark. Hey, Luke, are you still in hell? Ah! Oh, <laughs> jump scare! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you were you were saying I was just saying that I pretty much already said everything I want to say. Okay, well, I didn't, <laughs> but we then didn't somehow my microphone decided to unplug at exactly that moment. It's because it's haunted. Yeah, everything <laughs> is haunted now. <laughs> well, I I will say I think Event Horizon definitely deserves another look. Um, I think if you've never seen it, definitely give it a watch. I think it's just cheesy enough and just good enough to just kind of get you all the way through it. I love the obnoxious jump scares because they got me. So I recommend, you know, if you if you live with roommates, watch it with headphones and have those bad boys at a unsafe volume <laughs> and uh, and get ready to go to hell in space, sort of in space. No one can hear you. Hell. <laughs> okay the, the actual okay infinite space infinite terror infinite space the game okay matt you, i just said go to hell in latin you've got to cut it there <laughs> no, nobody's plugging anything okay oh yeah i guess we got chance to plug <laughs> stuff yeah, the guest should be allowed to do that i think no he's not allowed he wasn't ah. good enough he was late <laughs> you tricked me you tricked me <laughs> Well, since it's spooky season, uh, I feel like this plug is fair. Uh, I have a podcast called Weekly Spooky, where every Wednesday we publish a brand new scary story, a, a piece of fiction narrated. And we've actually started growing the show recently. We now actually do two shows a week. We do a Monday show called Terrifying and True, which is true crime, folklore, something that's uh, claimed to be real. And then on Wednesdays, we do our normal fiction show. So uh, all you have to do to listen to it is either search Weekly Spooky wherever you get podcasts or go to weeklyspooky.com and uh, it'll help you get in the spirit. I actually just got a comment from somebody saying that they can't wait to rake their leaves and listen to the show because this is how they get into their October mindset. And I was like, now that <laughs> is a compliment and I'll take it. Uh, so is that why you were researching the Mary Celeste was for the the new? Yeah, true yeah, one? that was the first episode we released because I remembered hearing that story when I was a kid and it stuck with me. Ah, um, cool. Of course, I knew it as the Marie Celeste, so I had to find out that I was an idiot and it was it was always the Mary Celeste. So. <laughs> <laughs> we well, and you. if you've enjoyed this podcast, we're on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. So when are you going to get to South Carolina's gray man? Ooh, actually, I think that's on the master list. I made a master list of, of weird things that I want to research. And I'm okay. pretty sure that's on there. If it isn't, it is now. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, hey, look, are you going to do Latin again? Or are you going to like, do <laughs> Jason. Thunderbirds are go. 